When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 155. We are recording on June 9th. I am Sharifa Williams here with my guest, Jeff O'Neill. And today we're getting into the time machine. We are traveling back a decade and we are looking at the most popular SFF titles of 2013. And thank you, Jeff, for suggesting this because I never would have thought to look that far back. And I was like, what even <laughs> happened in 2013? <laughs> Sharif, I think you just called me old. You wouldn't even thought to call to, to think that. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I'll, I'll talk more about my horrible experience of looking back in time okay. as well because I am also an elder millennial. Hmm. I don't know if you're an elder millennial, but I'm you an know, elder millennial. I've lost track. I'm 45. Does that? What does that make me? Do you have the convert? Can you con- convert that, that to metric? You, what does that make me? I think that makes you Gen X because yeah, my I sister so. is two years older than me and she's Gen X. I'm very, I'm very late Gen X. Um, yeah. I don't know yeah. how that, I, I don't really understand it. I don't it, understand either. To be quite honest. Well, 2013 well, is 10 years ago, right? And also, time yes. travel, you guys should, this is in your wheelhouse here. This is the science fiction fantasy show. I, you know, time travel, we should be doing this. Is. Yeah, we went back in our way back machine mm-hmm. in the wibbly wobbly way back. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's very fitting all around. Uh, and I am kind of excited to talk about some of these books. Um, yeah. We took a look at, we're going to take a look at some of Goodreads' most popular books of 2013. And um, I got a lot of nostalgia and remembered a lot of weird things about 2013. So it's going to be interesting. I'm so curious to hear what you'll have to say about it all, too. Can I tease it uh, a little further, Sharifa? Just just to yeah, get te- so they stick around after I, you know, they when you have a guest on a podcast, you're like, why are we going to stick around and listen to this? <laughs> well, one reason is in looking at the top, so we... We sort of started with the Goodreads list of the 100 most popular books from 2013. Like Rebecca Shinsky mm-hmm. and I have done this. We've played around this. This is where I got the idea to do it for this show because by genre, you can do it as well. 10 years ago, um, Shrifa said was far enough back that it feels a little bit like, whoa, can you believe it's been this long? But yeah. also you look at the books of 2013, 19 of the top 25, what we maybe argue or discuss one or two that maybe marginally SFFES, SpecFic, whatever, but 19 of the top 25, I think are fairly safely science fiction or fantasy. 19 of the top 25. It's it's wild. That's a good point. Yeah. I have theories about why that is. Yeah. All right. Now we're getting into the segment, which is what I always do. That's my problem. (laughs) You're trying to move us along and I'm making it worse. Okay. No, that's good. A hook at the beginning is good. You're selling it. Uh, Well, before we talk about some news and then go back in time, I wanted to tell you about a really cool project we're working on over here at Book Riot. It's the Deep Dive. 
So this is where you can find fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more drawn from our collective experience as power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, and bookish professionals. Um, and you can subscribe to The Deep Dive, which is a bi-weekly newsletter that informs and inspires readers. It gets delivered straight to your inbox just for a, a bit of a sneak peek. Um, some of the topics we've covered so far, I myself presented some arguments and options for tracking your reading. So all of the reading trackers out there, um, this one's for you. And Danica also went down a really fascinating rabbit hole with the state of scratch and sniff publishing. I have never, I never thought I would need to know so much about scratch and sniff books, but it was truly enthralling. So interesting. It yeah, so interesting. right? I I could not. I actually, this is, I'm not trying to detour too much, but this is SFF related. Oh. I actually purchased one of the books linked in there and it was the Scratch and Sniff Star Wars book. That was Incredible. like, yeah, <laughs> I bought it for my friend. I couldn't help myself. So yeah, <laughs> really great stuff. And if you want to check it out, you can get a couple of reads on the house. So um, my article about the Power Reader's Guide to Reading Logs and Trackers is one of them. You can also hear from Vanessa, our managing editor, who breaks down Mexican history through like Water for Chocolate. Also super fascinating. And yeah, you can check out all the details and choose your membership level at bookriot.substack.com. All right. So before we start talking about news, we're going to hear from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, we're back with news. And Jeff, you have some a couple of things yeah, here. Yeah, I'm throwing you curveball, Sharifa. You know, maybe, you know, I don't know. You've got a I'm lot of good news it. stories. I picked one of them. So yesterday when Rebecca and I were recording the regular Book Riot podcast, which I co-host weekly, if you're interested in sort of general book news, we do that weekly. You can find that you know, yes. in your Apple podcast catcher of choice. Um, Barnes & Noble had its best books of the year so far thing. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it. What they did this year was they have uh 51 micro categories with three oh, picks wow. each okay okay we can find a link in the show notes i'll show it to you if, if you want to put it in there and yeah. one of the categories was runaway bestsellers of the year so okay it's not is it best of the year it's just runaway bestsellers it's interesting they get very detailed but two of the three i was expecting to see and the third one i've sort of heard rumblings of and it's an sf F title. So the first two are Emily Henry's. I, I'm sorry, this this is really on me. Um, Happy Place, Beach Read, Romance, Light, Commercial, Fun, very popular. That's the best selling book of the yeah. week last week, actually. 44 million, uh, 44 million. That would be very, that would be incredible. Yeah. yeah, we would be, the whole site would be dedicated to covering that at that point. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> 44,000 copies. Number two, the Tom Hanks book. And then number three, 
The Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yeros with 25,000 copies. And it was the best, it was the best selling, second best selling book of the week before and the third best selling week of the week before. And it's sort of in this realm of, you know, the top, one of the top three. And it is, I think, a TikTok phenomenon. Now, Sharifa, you and I aren't super on the short form video algorithm train. And so these things can take us by surprise. But I think that's what this is. It's a, it's, Rebecca Yeros has a whole bunch of books. Like, I think this is her 15th novel. But this is the first book in a new series. And it's basically romanticy centered around like a dragon riding school. So I kind of think oh. it's Sarah J. Moss plus, you know, magical school plus dragons which congratulations to okay. you, you've figured out a trope, right? I mean, you, you put something together in a way that people like, and it's selling like gangbusters. And I just, I maybe your listeners have listened, have, have heard about it if they're into it, but it feels like this is going to be a thing for a little while. And I just was curious if that makes sense to you. Romanticy is a portmanteau I had not been, exper- I have not been exposed to, but that makes sense to me. Like this seems to be a very hot within this space genre, kind of like all romance, um, especially commercially, that gets into another genre seems to do very well on today's mm-hmm. social media. That that seems to be the case. So I offer it to you, Sharifa. I'm not there's anything interesting there, but this is a deal now. And I, I don't know if we're going to read it or what, but it's a big deal. I saw you write down the fourth wing and yeah. I was like, what is that? I... <laughs> I was, <laughs> right. I have I had no idea what it was, which says a lot about like how dialed in I am mm. to the TikTok sensations of the book world. We did do an episode where we looked back at some of the TikTok SFF yeah. Instagram reels posts and like discussed what was really popular there. And I I am not surprised because Ro- what is it? Romanticy? Is that what Romanticy. it's Romanticy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Romanticy. Also, I had not, I thought you made that up. Romanticy. I wish I could take credit for it. I can't, no. <laughs> it's like a huge thing. Like that yeah. is almost all you see. You have to look really hard mm-hmm. to find anything else. So maybe this doesn't surprise me, but I'm always a little bit, I'm one part curious about these books that become viral and one part skeptical because I feel like they tend to have a lot of the same tropes Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's sometimes just not for me it's not the type of of plot line I'm necessarily looking for but I do not want to bash this book right off the bat I don't know anything about it it could be amazing and obviously it's doing really well. So congrats to this author. But <laughs> I feel like romanticy has been going strong for yes. such a long time now. And I don't know if this is this isn't YA, is it? Oh, you know, I, I got adult. a little into it. It's hard. It's it's new adult, which we I mean, welcome back to the the party, new adult. You've been gone for a while. Yeah. Went out for a smoke break about nine years ago and uh just yeah. coming back to the party. Um and so I think that tells you something like, I don't know that it's as spicy as like the, the Sarah J Moss books, right? Like famously yeah. have been attempted to be banned, people calling it pornography, erotica. I'm not sure what you want to call it, but it's, it's spicier than, well, a young adult book maybe would be normally, maybe new adult signals. It's more than, I'm not really sure, but it's not a, it's not a middle grade book. There's not a book you're going to, no. you know, get assigned middle grade or maybe high school, I guess, would they, you know, a teacher might recommend it. I haven't seen like screen caps of what's, who's doing what to whom and when and how. 
um, which I guess is the easiest way to do this. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's because we were looking at the 2013 books, but I don't know if it struck yeah. you. I'm, I, I can't wait to get to this segment. I, I'm so sorry that I keep doing this, but like, I know the romantic elements in these and largely science fiction titles, I should say. There's some fantasy. There's a there's a heavy romantic element to them. I don't think I'd call them romances, right? But there's heavy romantic plot lines, like a will they, won't they, triangles all over the place. So I guess there's nothing new under the sun, except when you put it in a slightly different combination, it looks, um, it looks a little bit different. So I don't know if so. Red Tower is the publisher. It's their first book. Um, it's it's a sub imprint of Entangled, oh, which yes. might be a sub imprint of something else. Yeah. And Red Tower is explicitly fantasy. And I think this is the kind of thing they want to do. And I don't know. Um, maybe I should get them on first edition. Maybe I get the marketing person for this on first. You edition should. To talk about this. Yeah. There's but like, how did this happen? Imprint too. Yeah. Very interesting. So um, I'll watch that. You know, I think a book ride in general. We're never averse to the whatever's like a really best selling sort of book, but we're mm-hmm. also not going to be drawn to it necessarily of us on accord. We don't tend to cover things that way. We don't sort of chase bestsellers or phenomenons until one of us kind of gets interested or one of the contributors. If they want to write about it, fine. But we're like never going like now we got to go cover the fourth wing because I just said this. We're not going to do that. We might look at it a little bit more. Um, but it, it's, it hasn't been one like this for a while. And I'm fascinated to see. I can't remember. Do I do both my news stories, or you were going to interleave? You do your news stories next. My next one is also dragon related, so we could do, we could go both ways. If we want to go that one. I think that you could go. We usually go back and forth. Yeah, I thought but so. I think that uh, since it is sort of related, you can go ahead. We can change things up. Okay. Well, I'm I'm, I'm bringing the chaos energy yeah, to uh, to y'all today. Um, speaking <laughs> of dragons. And I don't, so this this is a link that y'all had in here for a while, and I saw this well. So this is an April 3rd link by Vanessa Armstrong at Tor. And there's a cottage industry of reporting on um, Game of Thrones spinoffs that may or may not be real or happen in various states of development. So this is, it's kind of another one of those, but since I don't get to come on very often, I was going to take your temperature and sort of what you thought about the state of Game of Thrones as a franchise, but then also... We're coming off of I've called it the the um, the adaptation gold rush. We're past peak TV yeah. in terms of the dollars, and there's a the middle of the writer strike. Um, and you know, two years ago, I think I was on with Jen, and we talked about you know House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings coming out in the fall. So I think this was probably last summer. I guess didn't fill it in for you. Right. And we're like, these are billion dollar friends, like, you know, Amazon paid a billion dollars for the rights to like four paragraphs of, you know, um, J.R. Tolkien extended you material. And they turned it into this lavish, pretty good, but not mind blowingly awesome series. House of the Dragon came out. It did pretty well, not as well as GOT itself. And I don't know what the appetite is going to be for this. So the particular story here is you thought... You thought prequel before, we're going to prequel harder this time. So we're going to go back another few hundred years, right? We're going to go back a few hundred years before House of the Dragon. But somehow everyone still has the same name. You know, it's still Visenya and Rhaenys Targaryen and Aegon the first, uh, same as the worst. Um, And I just don't know. I guess, will any of these see the light of day that's not House of the Dragon? I guess probably one of them will. But four years ago, it seemed like we were going to get multiple Lord of the Rings. We're going to get all the N.K. Jemisins. We're going to get um, Nettie Okorafor. We're going to get all these adaptations. 
and a foundation and all the dunes. Like could think about two years ago, what was in the offing right then. And now yeah. I'm not sure we're going to get any of these. Um, so I don't know. What's, what do you think? Is there an appetite for these? What do you think of the state of the Game of Thrones and where we are with adaptations real large? I think it's a challenging time. I'm actually, I, I started to watch House of the Dragon when it, yeah. you know, initially came out and it kind of wore on me. I honestly, and you know, people have been listening a long time. They probably know I was never like a huge fan of the Targaryens. Like, <laughs> yeah. so that was probably, uh, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't off to a great start when I, uh, tuned into House of the Dragon. But in general, with these super big budget um, SFF adaptations, more of the fantasy really yeah, lately, right. it's just, I feel like there have been a lot of stories about how, you know, there's a lot of anticipation and build up to the thing. And then it kind of doesn't do as well. I'm really thinking about the Lord of the Rings mm. spinoff. Um and so I don't know. I feel like I might be an outlier sometimes when I come in with my takes about how I think something is going to do and what an audience has an appetite mm. for. But I feel like there was such a, a big blowout of these adaptations. And if we do get something around the Targaryens, like I have to imagine that House of the Dragon did well enough. They saw enough of an audience that they were like, yes, let's do more of the same. Like, let's do yeah. more sister wives, as they call them here in this. Wonderful. Yeah. In this article and, you know, all the drama and the, mm. you know, family issues and things like that. Family issues is such an understatement with these these characters, but um, <laughs> I truly don't know. I feel like I want to see more stuff. Like I would love to see stuff from N.K. Jemisin and Eddie Okorafor right. and, you know, like new things that don't mm -hmm. feel like they're just milking franchises for all yeah. they're worth. Um, but maybe I am an outlier. Maybe there are people who are like, they cannot wait for a new Game of Thrones spinoff or whatever, and this is going to do really well. Um, I'm personally more interested. They mention at the bottom that there's a Jon Snow series in the works, and I feel like three I would be other more live action in that. projects. Like, yeah. is there going to be? I just right. don't see that where that <laughs> makes any sense. Like, I can't remember a time. Again, for those of you who are younger, like in your 20s or anything. It's hard to remember. There was a time there were no series like this that existed, right? Before yeah. streaming, before Prestige TV, there was zero. So there's not a lot of historical precedent, but I can't remember a time when there was multiple series of one IP going that was this. And, and, and Game of Thrones is is huge, but it's small compared to Marvel or Star Wars. It just, it just yeah. it, the, the canon is small. The history is small. But anything, throw that off as out those two off as outliers multiple ip properties within a world going at the same time your harry potter i mean think of the biggest ones you can think of it's one at a time so was there going to be a world in which there were two or three game of thrones westerios i don't even know what to call this it's game of thrones but that was the first this is the thing we get in i guess it is yeah. game of thrones because that song of ice and fire or whatever right just, that never felt like it was going to happen and 
maybe if we get one other one. Now, House of the Dragon has an endpoint, right? Because it's a prequel, so you know how this is going to go. So maybe they're queuing up. We're going to have a ser- you know, serial monogamy when it comes to the Game of Thrones <laughs> um, properties. But I, that w- there was a time we thought we might get multiple Lord of the Rings things at the same time. We're going to get yeah. multiple Star Wars things at the same time, which we're not really right now. We're going to get this and then this limited series and you know, Secret Invasion for Marvel, and then it's going to be Ashoka for Star Wars. And it's it's fascinating to see what's all going on here. And I don't know. And I, I agree with you. I'd rather see something new. But we also know in the book world and all cultural worlds, the hardest thing to do is break someone into something new, right? They've yeah. already done half the job, which is they've heard of Game of Thrones. There is a fan base for it to start. Is it the most creatively interesting project breaking new ground? No, but these are businesses, multi-billion dollar corporations, and they've got a different bottom line than make it new, make it awesome. Um, yeah, for sure. Which is hard, which is hard to understand. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's, that's dragon corner. We could have dragon, we could have dragon corner every week. Like what, what's up with dragons? I know. Well, I would love dragon corner. I could actually keep it with the dragons because of my, one of mine before I completely diverge from the dragon fest. (laughs) So (laughs) Gizmodo reported on, uh, Dungeons and Dragons 24-hour streaming channel. Uh, This is reported on by Linda Codega. And I don't know why I never expected something like this to happen because Dungeons and Dragons is another one of those gigantic franchises. And there have been all sorts of conversations about, you know, third party creators and people who are sort of taking the franchise and making it into their own, whether it's with podcasts or like, you know, YouTube series Mm -hmm. and things like that. So there is like a huge uh, opportunity for creating all types of entertainment out of this, you know, role playing game that I have never played again, I will say that. Uh, But I am constantly interested in the fan base and uh, how huge the fandom is. So yeah, I'm really curious about how it'll do. So there are in the works, there are three planned, this is in quotes, celebrity focused unscripted series. So there's one that includes the cast of the AP podcast Encounter Party, and there's one called Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill from, (laughs) I know, I was like, is that one phrase? I'm sure anybody who like knows about Yeah, these are all inside jokes, right? Terms of art from D&D gameplay, I'm sure. Absolutely. I think that the one that I personally am most interested in is the cooking series, which is Heroes (laughs) Feast. Like, yeah, that sounds great. Give me a cooking competition. Maybe it's a little great British baking show, cozy. Mm. I feel like the D&D crowd could probably, you know, they I I could see them doing some cozy cooking stuff. Uh, But yeah, it'll also have stuff like 
you know, older content like the 1980s animated Dungeons and Dragons series, which I could not for the life of me recall, even though I am a child of the 80s. I remember watching it and it felt like a transmission from a different universe because that was also the same time as there was the Dungeons and Dra- the Satanic Scares was latched onto Dungeons and Dragons. Right. You know, it was Harry later and now I guess it's anyone who's not, you know, cishet heterosexual is where the, the Satanic Panic kind of stuff has been transmogrified into. But I watched it with complete fascination and total incomprehension um, because the game was for older kids. I knew some kids that played it older. There was a group of uh, high schoolers that lived down the street from me that would get, or a family lived down the street, that group of high schoolers would gather and play Dungeons Dragons like outside on their gazebo because their parents didn't want in the house. And it it might've well been a seance. It felt occult. And it wasn't what they were doing. They were just normal high school kids. Um, drinking surge, which was the Mountain Dew of the oh, the late the early nineties, if those of you remember that. Um, so I've always been fascinated, but like you, I've been fascinated from the outside. I got into role playing paper and pen role playing games, but in typical Jeff fashion, it wasn't the normal thing. It was like the one weirder thing that was more science fiction. Um, so I don't Do you remember have what a, it was called. <sighs> Well, the it was Palladium Books was the imprint that had a bunch of different role playing games, but the first one was oh. a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle version where you made your characters that were like mutant animals in the world of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was the first one that I played. Oh, my friend Max my Couch and goodness. I played. It was incredible. Um, let me that just say crazy. that a, a mutant a mutant porcupine can rip. A mutant porcupine rips. That was my character. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I'll remember that when I pick up that game from That's right. Target. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think you can get I don't think that one's in print anymore. Uh so you can check oh, that yeah. out. So this is gonna be a this can be a TV channel, which is completely fascinating to me and so focused on live gameplay. And I guess the secret sauce here is you've got a serious you've got a pretty big fandom. Now it's a fandom, not a it's not like Game of Thrones audience, but it's a fandom. But For sure content you could make fairly inexpensively because apparently this is one thing we've learned in podcasting and whole companies been around built around live or semi-live or performed gameplay which you don't need a bunch of post-production you don't need a bunch of special effects or lighting you like it's people playing the game and people like to watch that it's like i guess kind of like twitch but for dungeons and dragons is the idea yeah. like, and then you fill it out with some other content it seems smart i or at least it's very very interesting to me but i have no sense of the the market potential I don't either. I, you know, I am surrounded by a lot of people also who love D&D and role playing and really are immersed in this Mm -hmm. world. And so I have a hard time knowing how wide the scope is because I just see how dedicated the people I know are. Um, So in my mind, it'll do well, but I guess I will keep an eye on things and see what happens with yeah. this. Like you never know. It's it's obviously pretty early in development and mm-hmm. um but yeah, I just thought it was really fascinating. There's always some new D&D thing that's either weird or interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know and you know the the movie which I quite enjoyed and my family quite enjoyed it. I did too. Um a couple of new D&D, D&D curious beings in my household, and I think among their friend groups also. Oh. So maybe there, there's a little bit of an upswing. Um, so well, we'll see. Str- 
I don't know if uh, they are allowed to watch Stranger Things, but I wondered when Stranger Things, the last season came yeah. out, if kids would be more into D&D because that whole, you know, that was a, a season about the satanic panic and there was mm -hmm. the D&D role playing stuff that was hugely tied to the the plot line and i was yeah. like oh is this are they trying to recruit some new D, &D players through stranger things <laughs> right yeah what a, i don't know that hasbro paid spawn con money for stranger things but yeah, they certainly not. got the the benefit of it and the dungeons and dragons movie did it did frustratingly well right if it did a lot worse you're like yeah there's nothing here but if it did a lot better be like it's totally a franchise i'm not clear yeah. that it did well enough that there's going to be Dungeons and Dragons 2 bag of holding or whatever. I, I just haven't seen that that's going to happen. Although it's so sad to waste that that title. Well, but. you got to use it sometime, right? <laughs> you know. Also, Fourth Wing on bookshop.org, out of stock, sold out. Well, that's that's very telling. Sorry, I wanted to get that in before we were done with our news. <laughs> just, I had that in the holster and I forgot to mention it. <laughs> Good to know. Well, I won't run out to try and find it there. Yeah. Um, I only have one story left, and this is a pretty quick one because it's like one of those, this is the very beginnings of conversation about a thing. But mm. I just thought this was so both confusing and interesting. So this is reported on at Deadline by Justin Kroll, and I had to read this headline <laughs> about Taika Waititi in talks to direct an adaptation of Clara and the Sun like three times before I believed it because I read Clara and the Sun. I don't know if you read that. Um, I did. I've done book. Shinsuke okay. and I did a whole segment about this. So I'll clear out for you. You give your take. But I've got one in the chamber for this as well. So I'm ready. Okay, great. Great. So this is uh, for anybody who didn't hear me waxing about this book a couple of times. Clara and the Sun is... Uh, a newer book by Katsuo Ishiguro. And it's a very, it's like very Ishiguro. It's it's mm -hmm. very sober. It's quiet. Um, you know, it's very philosophical. It's a book that wants you to think about the story and the characters. And it's about this, you know, AI toy basically, who keeps this teenage girl company and gets involved into the in the life of this family in what feels like a sort of near future situation. And knowing what YTT has directed and been involved <laughs> in in the past, uh, I was like, this is the weirdest pairing I have ever heard of like, is there going to be some chaotic comedic element in this mm. adaptation? Like what could this possibly look like? Because I have a really hard time imagining YTT doing a sort of straight direct adaptation mm -hmm. of this book without making it his own because that's that's what he does yeah. like you know you see his stamp on things when he directs or whatever so i just thought this was incredibly fascinating if this actually goes well through. that's a great point caveat caveat you know these deals yeah. get down. So usually by the time there's a director it, it tends to fall apart 
less frequently, but certainly still could. I had the same reaction. Rebecca and I talked about this when we first started this is we both love Claire in the Sun. I think probably my favorite book of the last couple of years. I mean, I haven't really looked at it in that way, but um, in looking at the books I've read the last couple of years, and if I had to choose what to save, you know, if I have to save five, it definitely is in my top five. And, yeah. and you hit on it, right, Sharif? It's like Ishiguro is a master of tone and perspective and restraint and control. Mm-hmm not things you associate with the director of Thor Love and Thunder, right? No. So that that's what and we had this there's the tonal match seems wildly let's say surprising. It's not a natural fit and I think that's putting it kindly. Here's I'm going to zag cuz I've had a little more time to think about it. Okay. Um Love and Thunder has been widely criticized as a being too loosey-goosey, too broad, too all over the place, too extra whatever you want to call it. If you're Taika Waititi and you want to rein back in your directorial bona fides and say, Hmm. I'm not that guy, I'm not just that guy, maybe this is a cool move then. You say, I'm gonna gonna be a master of tone. My camera's not gonna move around all the place. It's not gonna be winky in jokes. It's not gonna be technicolor, um, lucky charms land. It's gonna be the first 20 minutes, this robot girl, I don't know how we talk about this, looking out of the window of the store she's being sold in. That's the first 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. That would be amazing. That would be an amazing resuscitation, reframing, reset, or other some other some other kind of taking back control of the perception of what he can and can't do. Because if we're having this, and you and I, I mean, we're Hollywood insiders, let's be honest, Sharifa, about how this goes. Know. So if you and I are like, wait, this is not what Taiki Watiti does, Taika Waititi certainly knows this. So maybe this is maybe this is a career kind of reset for him. And he knows as well as anyone um, that a different yeah. look from him would be interesting. That's a really good take. Like I could definitely see this. And I would be, I would love to see it just because I truly don't know. Right. If that is a mode he can get into, but as like a sort of directorial exercise in Mm -hmm. restraint or something like that, that would be really interesting to witness, especially with this book where if you are trying to do it as it is written, you kind of have to do it that way. You have to, yeah, you have yeah. to dial into that. Have space. to dial into it, and, and not for nothing. I yeah. think this is a hard book for anyone. By the way, I mean, I, yeah. don't, I mean, maybe it's. I don't know. There's an again. I don't have a, a list of directors at my fingertips. It would be awesome to do something like this. But Ishiguro tends like he's a master writer, and he uses what words do as well as anyone alive, um, and that doesn't. You know, it's not necessarily saying the same thing to put that on the on the page. Like for me, the the first person perspective of the first section of this book is one of the achievements in writing I've ever seen. But it's an achievement mm-hmm. in writing because of its interiority and sensibility and perception, which is hard. Interiority is famously hard to put on film. So now we're into film versus TV and what they each can do stronger. But like that's what that first part of that book is. And I don't know. I'd love to see a wonderful version of it but it seems very difficult. It's hard for me to imagine. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about it is I, you know, Never Let Me Go was one of my, I think it's one of my all-time favorite books. And I saw the adaptation 
And it didn't do like I'm not it wasn't bad no. by any means, no. No. but it just didn't do what the book did for me yeah. in a meaningful way. So it's really that that this book is being adapted at all is also surprising yes. to me without even the director. Do you think he should go had to sign off on this? I don't know what his clout is in his adaptation rights and everything. Like he had he's had movies made out he made had never let me go made and um the Bill Nye vehicle living last year was an Ishiguro's screenplay, I think based on an Ishiguro's I short story. I I wonder if you're Ishiguro you also have to think about, whoa, wait a minute, Taika Waititi. I'm sure they had coffee somewhere. Um <laughs> And their wonderful accents. I would accents. love to have been a fly yes. on the wall for and that. hear that. But I, I almost have to believe that Ishiguro gave his blessing to this, knowing that not only has had he's very powerful in his own right, but he's been a screenwriter. He's been a part of movie making recently. True. Um, so that's that's maybe a fascinating is, piece of this. Well, yeah, maybe it's naive of me to think that because he's such a lauded, award winning author, he would have a say in things. But right. I, I don't but know. I guess it's possible. Know, it's possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good one. That. That. I mean, talk about a fascinating development. I, when that trailer comes out, I'm going to go over it like there's a oh, Bruder film. One hundred percent. I <laughs> cannot wait. I cannot wait. Well, we finally get to talk about. Yeah, we do. These 2013 SFF books. We're going to hear from a sponsor and then be right back. Okay, so this is something you like, as you said, that you do on the podcast, the Book Riot yes. podcast. The Patreon, and... whatever. It's something we cooked up for oh, the Patreon because right. yeah. we're looking for extra stuff to do. But yes, that's right. Yes. And so this is my first go at it. But basically, I was pulled in because you described it as it's all about the vibes, which I was like, okay, I can do that. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. Because in 2013, I don't know where you were in time in your reading i was mostly reading a lot of like foodie books i was writing for food riot yeah we had just started food riot book riot had been out for yeah. a couple it had been live for a couple of years and we covered i mean one thing that made book Riot a little different when it starts we covered ya differently than it had been covered before and one thing about ya then was the crossover with sf was we didn't almost even know we didn't know how striking it was, right? YA science fiction fantasy was kind of the book industry for like a four-year period. And yep. this is maybe the end of that. Well, we'll talk about it. It's sort of the end of this real boom um, in young adult science fiction, primarily with some fantasy and some other stuff cooked in. Yeah. And I actually, I went back because I had to like make sure I set myself, like I, I, went into the metaphorical time machine and put <laughs> myself back in 2013 to remind myself like what was happening in SFF in the world of SFF at that time and we kind of have already touched on this with the news stories and stuff but I was reminded that a lot of the big franchises that were really driving a lot of you know what types of books were published and marketed yes. and really um set up for success were to fill this hole where the hunger games and like the twilight saga mm -hmm. 
used to be because the last Hunger Games book was published in 2010 and the first Hunger Games movie was released in 2012, right before 2013. And the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 was released in 2012 (laughs) as well. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I was thinking a little bit that's too. So I think you're right to identify the Hunger Games as the water, um, the headwaters of this, you know, particular year we're looking at this phenomenon as well. Interesting that we're getting this ballads of songbirds and snakes coming out in the fall, which yes. do yourself a favor and don't watch the trailer. It's, um, it does not look great if you haven't out there, haven't watched <laughs> it. Um, and then I, do, this is something I don't know and I don't remember. I don't remember or know how much the Hunger Games phenomenon was an, an, af, an after echo of the Harry Potter phenomenon. Because it is, it's it's similar and it's not right. There's these basically you get sorted into this thing. There's these teenage warriors, found family. I don't know how much that yeah. was. I, I think you could probably draw a straight line to from the Harry Potter phenomenon to Hunger Games to this wave. So we're on the third. We're we're on the third wave of people imitating or doing a not imitating, but doing a version of something that's doing a version of something that's doing a version of something. And that's what really right. strikes me about this list as well. It's like Divergent, right? The last so this is the this was the number one most popular science fiction fantasy book of the year. It's the third yep. divergent book, Allegiant, which was very bad. And it did very poorly. It didn't even get made into a movie that was released in theaters. The first two were. And it really petered out. And I think this is, like you say, the um, the Baroque period of young adult science fiction. It's like things are coming to the end, though a couple notable exceptions. So, you know, I don't know where you want to go from that, but I think that's the right. You're thinking of the, I was yeah. thinking of the similar context of like, this is the end of the prime or sort of the end of the, the end of the Roman empire and the Visigoths are sort of marching down from Germany. Um, but it's still an empire at this point. Yeah. You see a lot of these like sort of dystopian YA stories right. kind of at the end of their series or in the middle where sometimes you, you know, you imagine, especially with the divergent series, you, you see that it was, really successful when it first Mm -hmm. came out and then it did start to peter out and a lot of these books like I'm not personally familiar with but I remember them being talked about everywhere and you would always see these books and these author names like Veronica Roth I I just know that name because of this time period um And that was what a lot of YASFF was. But you can definitely see that it is kind of at the end of its line. And and um, a lot of these authors are kind of doing similar things. And they're still on this list. They're still popular. But yeah. a couple of surprises to see that are still occurring. Like I think if, you, if you're coming to the end of 2013 and say this list is the same, and you're thinking about who what authors and books and series you're kind of doing a stock market thing of buying, selling, or holding, I think you would have gotten this completely wrong. I think it would have been very hard to know that Shadow and Bone, maybe Shadow and Bone, right? That's if you were to re-rank these today based on today's power rankings, mm-hmm. is that the number one draft pick of of the, the the titles and authors on this list? 
I would say so. Yeah. Like having looked through everything, I think that was the one that stood out is like, especially because, you know, even though the series is coming to an end, it only just got its adaptation right. yep. <laughs> in these current times. And it's obviously still something that's talked about. And Leigh Bardugo, you know, forget about I think it. did yeah. a really the good Titan. job. Yeah. Uh, and she just made the Grisha verse. Mm -hmm. consistently perform like she she did not seem to have any lag that i could see that series got better i've read that series it got better as it went along and she's even said as much she reads the first one she's like oh my god but oh no yeah (laughs) Yeah, when when i used to um i used to go to the los angeles times festival of books Mm. and i would go to like all the panels i'd spend the whole day and i remember i used to go to a lot of the ya sff panels and leigh bartugo was on one of them talking about like world building and stuff and this was two years later and it was a really like (laughs) she was getting center stage and like was still like a huge important voice and so I think that I would absolutely have put this at the top, even though it's the second book in the yeah. series. It was still like that whole series did so well. It did so yeah. well. And then V.E. Uh, Schwab has a title um, in the top 25. Right. Vicious was villains number one. That's not a series I know. I got on board with her with the, um, oh, I can't, I can't. I can never remember Darker Shade of Magic. Is that the name of the series? Yeah, the yeah. Books? That's the one I read too. Yeah. I read that trilogy and I really enjoyed it. And I've recommended it to my, my brothers who both we all share an, an affinity for sort of slightly elevated science fiction fantasy series. Uh, if 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 that one if that's a category. Uh. Um but that it's she is more of a name of her own. I guess Bardugo's more like this too, because like the the Invisible Life Addie LaRue was a complete phenomenon like a titanic phenomenon and she's got other books coming as well and i don't think in 2013 you would have known this yet so you get one here it's the beginning of a series hard to know it's going to be the series forget about or not forget about i'm sure it did well in its own right but schwab herself has transcended any particular series and that's what bardugo has done as well and i think that's the other thing it's striking there's like sort of two categories of writers who have done a series did they go on to transcend the series or were they sort of mark hamilled and subject to it they're always luke skywalker Mm. first because number two on this list, at least for science fiction fantasy, is Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane, who Gaiman is still more popular than any one of his books, right? He, yeah. He's a bigger name than any one of his books. And most of these series aren't like that, Sharifa. They just aren't. I was kind of surprised to see the Ocean at the End of the Lane so high on this list, yeah. maybe because there were so many, like, it's an outlier in terms of the type of yeah, standalone, SFA. right? Yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, it's how many standalone. other standalones are on this list? Like three? I mean, None. I've got 33 of the top 100 are, I think you could loosely categorize, or, or not loosely, but responsibly categorize as SFF. And I think this and more than this by Patrick Ness, maybe The Coldest Girl in Cold Town by Holly Black. Oh, right. I think those are the only two other standalones. Number one, number two, number three, number four in a series. Um, but Gaiman doesn't do this. He doesn't. And well, I guess the the, the big exception, of course, is Sandman, which seems to have taken up all of his time of late of turning that into adaptations. But in terms of the, yeah. the novels, um, he hasn't done that. 
Yeah, and the ocean at the end of the lane, like uh, the actual story itself, like it's so far removed. It's, you know, it takes place in a contemporary time. Mm-hmm. It's the story about a, a man and his relationship with his mom and like his upbringing. It's very like, it's that sort of quiet, speculative yeah, um, sort of fiction. And I read this back when it so came out. Um and I thought it was good, but I, I there was a part of me that was like, even knowing that Neil Gaiman was a big name, like I, there was nobody else I could talk to about the book because nobody <laughs> else was reading no, it. They were all reading The Elite, the selection number two by right. Kira Cass, which no one knows about anymore. I I'm not like, joking, Sharifa. I don't know what that book is. I remember this. It was a big thing. And then the Shatter Me series, I think those two go together, the selection series and the Shatter Me series, huge at the time, but no one to a first approximation. They don't have they don't have much current conversation at all. There was never a series. They didn't get turned in anything. They haven't really survived it. And that's hard. That winning is hard. And there's other ones too. Like remember how big the clock the Infernal Devices series were? The Cassandra Clare. We have one of those on here, the Clockwork Princess. There was one yeah. movie made that was a bomb. And I don't know what the life of that franchise. I don't know what kind of mind share that franchise has. To me, it's it's like, oh, to me, it's like, the, oh, yeah, that's not where you want to be if you're in that space. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the reaction right. you see on a list like that. Yeah. The the Tahare Mafi book, the Shatter Me series, I remember starting that. And it was, again, not for me, but mm-hmm. I remember thinking that the series would blow up. And Tahare Mafi, I remember, was like, she and Ransom Riggs were like a power couple oh, in YA. Yeah. And they like they married that year in 2013. Yeah. And I remember oh, seeing Sharif them. With the hot goss. I had forgotten I this. That's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> I remember, I remember being like, oh wow, they're like a power couple. And you know, both of their books are gonna blow up. And hmm. you know, Neil. Uh, was it not Neil Gaiman? I always get them confused. Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Plot. Yeah, yeah. Tim Burton was like adapting Ransom Riggs stuff. And I thought that the Shatter Me series would also get an adaptation and it just mm. didn't happen. And and sometimes didn't that's happen. just the case. Yeah. It just, yeah. you know, seems like it's going to be huge and then nothing really comes of it. But yeah. And you then like one... we've got. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you you go. I've got a different point to make, but follow up on that. I was going to say the Marissa Mayer is mm-hmm. one of the other people who did like uh, Scarlet, which is the second book in the Lunar Chronicles, shows up number 15 on the list. But Marissa Mayer, I, I feel is a prolific author, yeah. but I don't have any idea of how those books are doing today. I don't really either. I don't really yeah. know, to be honest with there you. There were so many of them. Of yeah. Well, yeah. and that was her her bag was taking a fairy tale and turning it into a science fiction and fantasy book, essentially, right? Yeah. Like Cinderella and Snow White and Scarlet was the Scarlet Letter. So not really a fairy tale, but um, or was it Little Red Riding Hood? Anyway, it, the specifics are a little beside the point. And after a while, if that's what you do, it's hard to grow the base. Of, of, yeah. of fans, right? Like that's kind of what I'm not sure you get pigeonholed, but it's hard to break out of that. Um, whereas if you're looking down the list a little bit, V.E. Well, not, but I guess that takes me back to Schwab for a second. Like 
doesn't do the same thing every time and hasn't yeah. had an adaptation and still sells pretty well and I think has a um, name recognition at least as large as the genre and maybe even a little bit of outside of it because of Addie LaRue. And I'm sure there'll be a series of that at some point. Um, another one I was going to say is we were not yet in the time, I don't think, and I don't know the history as well, of science fiction and fantasy writers writing IP novels. Um, and mm-hmm. some of these writers go on to do that. Maggie Stiefheiter's on here for the Raven Cycle. I think she wrote a Wonder Woman. Marie Lu is on here for her own series. I think she wrote. Yes. She might have also written a Wonder Woman or another superhero title. Um, and I think some of this, I don't even know how to put it, sort of commercial science fiction and fantasy aimed at young adult plus Marvel and Star Wars and DC were like, oh, we've got IP that could service this. And I wonder how much of the energy that sucked out of this, this kind of market, this kind of book, this kind of series. Um, because Marvel hadn't yet taken over the world. We'd had a couple of Marvel movies, but it wasn't. It wasn't what it is now. That is interesting. It feels like now there are so many YA authors who do write mm-hmm. these books. And Marie Lu wrote um, Batman, I think. Batman. Some Pardon Batman me. books. Yeah. And I remember seeing that and finding it fascinating because I hadn't, like, there was a time when I that was unfamiliar to me. And I was like, oh, just, like, sort of broadening your horizons. Okay. But now it just feels like it's a ubiquitous thing. Right. Where they're writing these books. But, and it's a way to, like, you know, if you don't want to constantly write something new and you want to be a full-time writer. Yeah. I don't know Get if that all check. of these people are. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Marie Lou is another one, too, who's stood the test of time. I would have put this maybe – I haven't read the Legend series myself, but I would have mm-hmm. put this a little higher up It was the a list big deal. I remember – I mean, yeah. I, I remember having a similar sense that it was like it, – it stood out differently. Um, yeah. Don't to explicate why. Um, you have a couple of notes here I thought are worth saying. Interesting to see Stephen King and Joe Hill both on the list. I mean, yeah. shouts to the great – shouts to the great – the king <laughs> – I mean, he is the king. Um, also, yeah, Ancillary Justice by Anne Lickie. I think that book was a huge deal for pretty hardcore sci-fi at the time. Yes. Um, and the Imperial, I don't know how you say that word, R-D-C-H. Do you know how you say that word? The Imperial Rake? Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I have never uh, had to say it out loud. Yeah, I know. Welcome to the book, <laughs> so the book nerds wrong. dilemma. Right. Um, but she's writing another book in that world. I, I just saw an ad for it um, or an announcement or something today. So that's still kicking. Um, also, Winter's Promise by Christelle Davos. Interesting. It sound, I don't think this would have been on the list in 2013. I talked about this on the Book Riot podcast a while ago because I saw it. You know, Powell's has their list of like bestsellers just for the stores in my local yeah. one. I don't, li- I li- don't live close to the, the mothership downtown, but by the ancillary one in Southeast Portland. It's been like number one or number two on their shelf of most popular for like a year. So, and I asked wow. on the Book Riot pod, is this a TikTok thing? And they said no. Like the, the listener said no. Someone who actually worked at Powell said no. We just, you know, it got picked up and we put it there and it got some of its own steam. I don't feel wow. like I believe that if it's doing this on this list. I, I feel like there's some missing piece to that story. I think this is one of those that after the fact, had a life that was bigger than it did in the year. Like for example, this is outside of the genre, but there's a Colleen Hoover on this list that for certain wasn't on this list in like June of 2014. 
right? Uh, you know, it couldn't have later, been. Right? Couldn't have been. So some of these things have picked up steam, um, and I think this is one of those. I think so too. I remember a winter's promise. Like, it, I I was kind of confused when I saw it on the list because I remember talking about it with a publisher at. I believe BEA, and this was, so it must have been years after because it was when I was working for Book Riot full time. So, and I remember them, you know, like trying to sell it to me as like, oh, it was so huge in Europe Mm. and it's going to like take off. And, you know, we've never, you know, Europa has never. um, Europa editions, that's right. Yeah, they've never published a YA book or something like that. It was like a, mm. a big, big deal. And I kind of waited for it to take off and to hear more about it, but it never felt like it it did at that time. Um, yeah. So I was, I was surprised, but it's interesting to hear that it did well. Yeah, it continues. To, I mean, it's in print still, which is something. Yeah, Actually, I'm just looking online. You can get it on Kindle for one ninety nine for anyone out there that wants to give that one a whack for a couple of bucks. I might actually pick that up myself just to have, just to try it out I, to see what it looks like because I've heard so much about it. I think I still have a copy, and I started yeah. to read it. I I will be quite honest. Like I read half of it, and mm-hmm. I feel like I've said this a million times now. It just wasn't for me. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I just like. I, I don't know what it was like. It it just read slowly to me, but it obviously I don't know appealed to quite a few people, and I would not turn anybody away from giving it a try because you know. I think YA fantasy in translation is such a rare thing. You should mm. probably at least give it like a try. one of one. Like how many? I can't name another one off the top of my head. Can I can't either. I can't either. No. <laughs> Truly. Well, we're actually coming to the end of our time. Is there anything that really jumped out that you have to say something about? I, I don't think so. I, I, your last note, I also had about Saga. Um, saga yes. continuing, like it was, it was a, I think it punches above its weight in terms of mind share among people who care about stuff like this. Um, you know, um, they haven't. I'm sure they've gotten offers to adapt it. They must have, Sharifa. I, you know, I think Rebecca and I one time did a draft of like IP that books or series that haven't been turned into something that you would either want to or think would be fascinating. It ticks all the boxes of a prestige speculative fiction show. It's 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 dirty. It's vi- dirty in terms of like a lived in world. There's yeah. drugs. There's sex. There's violence. You could easily see this being like Game of Thrones of space to to, to make yeah. a very like, and it just hasn't happened, and I don't know why. And maybe um, maybe um, Vaughn and Staples aren't interested. And shouts to them, they get control and they're you know they reboot. They didn't reboot it; they restarted it. I haven't jumped back on the train. I think it was beginning of this year that it, they got back in the saddle. Um, so it, it they lost some momentum with this particular reader, though. My affection for that experience of reading that has not dimmed um, as the years has gone on. Yeah. And I don't think you're alone in that. And I am really, really surprised it hasn't been adapted. Like I could 100% see like, especially an animated series. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I feel like maybe because that's what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The illustrator in you is coming out. Yeah. (laughs) 
And I just think it would be perfect. But you might be right. Maybe they just don't want to go that route. And and I can't argue with that. But it's just such a good story. Have you gone to have your brain melted by the Spider-Man movie yet? This is way off topic. I haven't. I heard. I'm trying not to like spoil it. But I did hear that it's like a lot sensory wise. (laughs) Just a lot. Yeah, I think we're gonna but go. I the love family's the gonna go this one. weekend. Yeah, I love the first one too. And and an, an illustrator smorgasbord. It sounds like so. I'm yeah. curious to hear what you think of it. Yeah, we might go see it this weekend. Actually, yeah. Maybe I'll just make the case for it. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> that's yeah. why. Yeah. Well, this was a fun look back. I feel like this has to happen more often. I might steal this from absolutely because I initially mislinked the 2003 year to you. And you're like, this is so old. You're an ancient, you're an artifact. (laughs) You're a golem. What are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. 2013. (laughs) I was like, Oh my goodness. I was deep in my English major reading and thinking I should not read anything except the canon. Uh huh. And so I was like, am I going to know what happened in 2000? I'm so disconnected from this world. I was just afraid of looking ignorant. No, I think there's two ways to play it. I think you're, I I think you're on to how, because there's two ways of playing this, right? This, what we kind of did, I am not as expert in you in this field, but I pay attention to the book world, right? So I have some sense of like what was going on and you can say, and you can bring in like, oh, remember when you can do sort of a remember when version, but then the version you go older, it's like, what was this? You kind of archivize, you kind of resuscitate, um, or otherwise, yeah. you know, use it as a voyage of discovery. So go back to 2003, the book that shall not be named, the fifth one in that series is number one. But then if you go down the list, you can talk about what, where were we in this? Cause like the time traveler's wife, number five, remember that phenomenon, that spec fic, but it's a love yeah. story. Like you could kind of go one, like, huge. I think you could do them for more years than you think. Um, but you have the, you're right. You have to have this like slightly different, approach you don't speak of someone who was there you you, you turn yourself into a secondary source rather than a primary source right that's what i'm saying yeah well this was i'm glad we chose 2013 because it was it was close yeah. enough yeah, uh close enough and it was a fun and interesting walk down memory lane so we will link to this list so you can check out all of the titles and that's it for our show. SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. You can find more recommendations over at bookriot.com. And you can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Send us your recommendations for things you'd like to hear on the show. Um, or your thoughts about this list, Mm. you can also review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen. It really does help people find us. And you can find us online and elsewhere. Jeff, do you want to tell them where to find you online? Yeah, sure. A bunch of projects. Yeah, don't too. don't follow me on social. You don't want that. So I do the Book Riot <laughs> podcast every week with Rebecca Shinsky. Sharifa, you've guessed it on that before. We look at yes. the biggest stories in books and reading. What's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading. Um, that's just in my brain. That's a, like a meme of one that I can just whip out any time. The catchphrase there. That's every week. Um, I started a new show that I'm doing biweekly called First Edition. 
it's exploring the whitish book its world. I'm translating that for you, dear listener. Now I'll give you the straight dope. It's whatever I'm interested in doing an episode on. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm dragging Sharifa along with me. We're kind of doing a home and home. And I think yeah. the conceit we're going to do, which we actually need to schedule that, by the way, note to self, we're going to do Insta buys. So we're going to come on and do science fiction, fantasy, Insta buys. We each can have a list of, I think we haven't really talked about probably five, um, okay. who, who, when they have a new book coming out in this genre, um, is an Insta buy for you. And then if that goes well, I might do it with some other people and other genres and niches that's out there. Um, speaking of retrospectives, I was doing, Rebecca and I did the retrospective for 2003, just for the whole list. And I was looking at the Kite Runner. I was like, oh my God, like it's way up there. And right. it, it made me realize it's the 20th anniversary of the Kite Runner. And I got Khaled Hosseini was gracious enough to come on. And that's, that episode's out now to talk about the phenomenon that was the Kite Runner. And I call that segment a bookography. So he talks about the beginning of the book, how it went through the publishing process, the editing, the marketing, and the long history thereof. Probably one of the favorite, inter- I think it's the favorite, my favorite interview I've ever done. And I've had a bunch of podcasts that don't exist anymore that are interview based. Um, but this one was really great. So I'm looking for more, I'm looking for more um, examples. And I'm, I'm eyeing this 2013 list very, with very mm-hmm. cravenly thinking about ideas. Here's one and looking at 2003 list. Persepolis. It's the 20th anniversary of Persepolis, the graphic novel. I love that graphic novel. I, I, do you think she'd come on and talk to me? Can I do a book offer? Will you listen? Will you will you promise yourself to listen, Sharifa? I can at least have one person excited about promise. that. I absolutely promise. Okay. I think that's all I'm looking fascinating. for. Fascinating. It is a fast and a real phenomenon. Um, yeah. Uh, in its own right. So that's enough about me. Go check out first edition. I, I think I think you'll probably like it. If you like the segment we just did, I think you'll like some of the stuff we do there. I generally think so. Yeah, it's a really great listen and a really great show. So definitely check it out. Well, I already told you about my project, The Deep Dive, but you can find me on social. You can find me on Instagram as usual at S-Zainab-Williams, S-Z-A-I-N-A-B-Williams. And we will talk to you next time.